from the feature staff at the Columbus Dispatch. This is Life in the 614. Hi, and welcome to Life in the 614, the official lifestyle podcast of the Features Department at the Columbus Dispatch, coming to you every Thursday. If it sounds like fun, we'll be talking about it. Hi, I'm Nancy Gilson, a freelance writer for the Columbus Dispatch. Today we're talking with James McBride, the celebrated author of the historical fiction The Good Lord Bird and the memoir The Color of Water. And he has a new novel, Deacon King Kong. It's set in South Brooklyn in 1969 and is the story of an old New York neighborhood that revolves around Deacon Cuffy Lambkin, also known as Sport Coat for his colorful attire, and also known as Deacon King Kong for his thirst for drink, particularly the homemade brew King Kong. When Sport Coat shoots but doesn't kill his young baseball protege turned drug dealer, He sets in motion a swirl of events that involve all the members of his Baptist church, the drug dealer's posse, a sweet-natured Italian gangster, a straight Irish cop, an old bagel maker, and his daughter, and a hidden treasure. The novel is humorous, heart-wrenching, fast-paced, and surprising, and already has earned comparisons to the works of Charles Dickens and Mark Twain. McBride, who is Distinguished Writer-in-Residence at New York University, will appear at 7 p.m. March 5th at the King Arts Complex. Deacon King Kong will be published March 3rd. Joining us now is James McBride, whose new book is Deacon King Kong. Welcome, James. Well, thank you. Nice to be here. Good. The early reviews for this book have just been astonishing. I think you've gotten all-starred reviews from your advance reviews. Plus, on um, February 16th, I believe the New York Times ran a whole section with an excerpt from Deacon King Kong. That was very impressive. (laughs) Well, I, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, (laughs) what do you say? I'm glad they did it, you know. Yeah, it was. Um, It was great. I'm just very appreciative that, you know, that it happened. Yeah, it's um, it's just a really great book. I really enjoyed reading it. I have to ask you, how did the idea for this book come about? Well, you know, I still, uh, uh, although I don't live in Red Hook, in the projects where I was born anymore, I still uh, work there every week. I have a program in my church that where we train um, we train young musicians to play. We have uh, piano, we teach piano, bass and drums. Basically, the program was started because we needed an organist and we couldn't find one. We couldn't find a cheap one. <laughs> and so I said, well, why are we looking around for, you know, these jive cats who claim to play organ? Why don't we just make our own? So it'd be, so I, so we, we've been running this program for the last six years. So I'm around um, the housing projects a lot still, and I remember a lot about it. And I, I really, despite the, the, the sort of, um, you know, stereotypical view of what, uh-huh. of how the poor people, so-called poor people live, I've always, I've always felt, you know, safe there, and I've always felt I had a lot of friends there, and I've always enjoyed the people in the projects. I've always found them the most interesting, compelling, kind people. So, and uh, so I just said, well, you know, let me see what I can do. So the 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 book is set in in 1969. So is the is the Cause Houses project in the book? Is that based on your the project that you grew up in? I can't really say. I can't uh, say based on, but, uh, you know, inspired, certainly inspired by, yeah. you know, the projects. But, I mean, there's no difference between the projects in, in Brooklyn and one in Kentucky, really. Uh-huh. It's just poor people living together. I mean, you know, you don't really... I, just the term is so derogatory. I mean, it, it's just a, it's just the place where people lived. I, I said it in 69 because 69 was a 
the time before crack really hit and uh, people were still, you know, I mean, they, it's not like the doors weren't locked, but it was just a time where people still had to get along. They had to communicate. Yeah. There was more, uh-huh. a little more trust and, you know, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like it is now. Yeah. Well, Deacon Cuffy Lambkin, also known as Sport Coat, um, also known as Deacon King Kong, is such a terrific character. Um, he's he's kind. He's an impossible drunk. He he's a character with a good deal of humor. Can you tell us a little bit about how you invented him? Well, I've known several people like that <laughs> over the course of my life. Um, you know, we I think we all have an uncle who shows up at Christmas and takes out his teeth and does crazy stuff. You know, I <laughs> I um you know I've I've always enjoyed those characters who you know. Uh, who who get drunk at twenty and die at eighty? You yeah. Know? Um, and I've known several in my life, and they they've always always been uh, mostly delightful. I mean, I'm lucky. I never really lived with a drunk, and never had uh, you know anyone in my family, fortunately, who was you know suffered from alcoholism. So I don't you know I don't know what the other side of that is. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure it's not pleasant, but um, there is a there is a part of 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 life where you, you know, it's a part of the community, any community where people just learn to live with what they have. And they, and, and I, I like Deacon King Kong because he wasn't a person who complains and he just deals with what he has. He takes care of his business. He try he does his best. And, uh, and that's all you can expect from anyone. Um, you know, the fact that he doesn't complain and he does his best makes him for me, a compelling character worth yeah. spending time with. Yeah, he is. He's a wonderful character. Um, do, you, do you have any thoughts about what, what you hope readers will take away from Deacon King Kong? Well, you know, we all need some relief right now. We're, you know, this is, these are some difficult moments we're going through mm-hmm. um, as a country. And, and uh, I always wanted, to, I always felt, I still feel that when you pick up a book, there should be some relief. There's some, some illumination and some guidance, but there should be a lot of comedy and a lot of relief so that, you know, that you see people. You're not the only one. You're not alone. You're not the only one facing this. This has happened before. You know, people have walked down this lone, lonesome highway before you arrive. So I hope that people come away with the notion that we really should be more appreciative of our differences and stop this nonsense about, you know, this mm-hmm. stupid jingoism, this stupid patriotism, this dumb, just, you know, dummies who are insecure trying to, you know, make us... Uh, kill each other I just I'm, I'm tired of it yeah. so I hope that people will read it and just enjoy it and, and realize that you know we've we've learned that we've had to learn to get along because we were forced to and now that we have computers and cell phones to hide behind it doesn't change the fact that we still have to learn how to get along yeah, and stop being stupid you know <laughs> yeah so and on to a different book that you wrote The Good Lord Bird is your historical fiction about John Brown you were surprised when you won the National Book Award for that book weren't you? Yeah I, I was pretty I was pretty surprised I mean I, I really haven't spent my life you know in the like this part of the the greater uh, New York uh-huh. uh, literary community I, I don't really it's not that uh, you know I'm, it's it's just not you know it's not who I am it's not you know I don't just not part of it it's not that i dislike it it's just i don't really like talking about other writers and i don't like going to parties and i just don't like that kind of stuff yeah. so yeah i, I but I, and not to say that when you get that award you are part of that literary world it 
I just didn't think I was uh, good enough to win. I mean, there was some really good Rachel Kushner, for example. Mm-hmm. Ex- she's an excellent. She's a superbly gifted writer. And uh, George um, Saunders was a finalist. I mean, I didn't. I just thought I was happy that you know I'd gotten that far. I was I'm pleased and, yeah. and was yeah. I didn't even. I mean, I was like I, I was stunned. <laughs> but I mean, it was it was okay though. So, yeah, you know, I'll right. take it, you know. <laughs> thing. Um, so there's a Showtime series now based on about the Good Lord Bird. Um, I think Ethan Hawke is is in it. And ha- have you were you involved in that, or and have you seen it? I, I visited the set, you know, and and saw the you know saw the original script that Ethan wrote, and um, and and talked with Ethan about John Brown quite a bit. Um, so. Yeah, I think it's I you know, it's gonna be great. I mean, they did a really wonderful job. Oh cool. They, um they were really faithful to the book and uh, Ethan Hawke is just a well you know, Ethan's a writer too. Uh-huh. And he's also a very, you know, he's a very literate guy and he, he loves history and he probably knows more about John Brown than I do at this point. I'm sure he does because he he did an enormous amount amount of research. So he it's a it's a great I'm very proud of it. I'm I think they did a wonderful job. I can't wait till it comes out. I, you know, I, I think it. I think it was supposed to have come out February sixteenth, but I, I haven't seen it yet. So I'm. It's on my. No, my no, it list. hasn't come out. Oh, yet. it hasn't come no, out they, yet. Okay, no, they keep changing the date. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Have to have to look that up and find. I mean, that they out. spent a lot of money on it, so they can put it out whenever they want. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then there was your 1995 memoir, "The Color of Water," a black man's tribute to his white mother. About your mother, Ruth, who was white and born Jewish, um, her marriage to your black father, conversion to Christianity, their children. I think you were the eighth of their kids, and your upbringing right. in Brooklyn's um, housing projects. So what impact did, th- did writing this book have on your life? That book? Yeah. The Color of War? Oh, it had, a, you know, it had an enormous impact. I mean, yeah. um, you know, it helped me figure out who I was. It helped me see clearly how my mother... Uh, negotiated, you know, the difficult terrain of of being, uh, you know, a white person in 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 a black community. Although, frankly, my mother never really dealt with that too much. She wasn't really interested in the white black question. She was interested in school and religion. She didn't want to hear anything about that too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she didn't really. She wasn't one who sat around talking about race, and she just didn't want to bother. She just. She didn't really bother with that too much. She just felt like, you know, you're a human being, educate your mind. Any other racial knowledge and, you know, all the other business that I got, I got, you know, from just from church and just being around the community and so forth. And I think in a lot of ways, um, I think she did a very good job because even although I certainly am considered a black person, I, I really don't, I don't dwell on that business too much. I think it's really about who has the money. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really what this is all about, you know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, having gone to school in Ohio, you know, I understand, you know, I understand what the, the dynamics are of that of that place and that state, you know. it's Of course, you know, race play has a part to play in everything, but, you know, how much of that can you deal with? I mean, you got to be able to laugh and have fun. God, yeah. yeah. You know? <laughs> You know, um, so so are you still a regular churchgoer? Did that still that hooked with stuck with you? Uh, I don't go to church that much anymore. Uh-huh. I mean, I, I still. I mean, I run a program in the church, and we meet yeah. every Saturday, rain or shine. 
But in terms of going to church every Sunday, I'm not one of those. Yeah, yeah. I stopped that years ago. I'm not really that. I mean, look, I'm I, I, I'm I'm a Christian, and I'm I, I'm very appreciative that God has stepped into my life and helped me and made me into whatever I am. It's it's all because of God and God's purpose and God's love and kindness and giving heart in in my case but i am not one of those people who says if you don't find jesus then the you know the world's going to collapse or i'm praying for you and all that other crap because a lot of these people who say that don't really mean it yeah i mean they really the 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 baptist church which is the only church i know well is really like this you take 10 people eight of them just go to church on sunday with the hats and the clothing and they look good and all that the ninth will kind of this you know a little bit helpful and hopeful but the tenth person is the person you really go to church for because that person is the person who really epitomizes the reason why the rest of us are Christians in the first place. Uh, and that tenth person often isn't the minister. Yeah. And we have a couple like that in my church. And so I I, I live to be like those people. And um and that's really so I'm not I'm not really that involved with the church. I mean I, I still but on the that said I'm not one of these people who walks away from the church and says the church is horrible. Now you you can't just walk away. You can't just say I don't like it, and and because nothing, there's nothing else. You're done with it. Yeah. It's the only yeah. institution that you know that is still in the black community that helps people. You know. Yeah, and you know that your the whole theme of goodwill, your goodwill toward your fellow men and women. I mean that that does come out in your books, and it. You know, these people are kind. They're pretty, for the most part, they're real kind-spirited people. And they're they're just doing, getting through, like you said. Um, a, a, lot of the, a lot of the critics have compared your books, especially um, The Good Lord Bird and Deacon King Kong, to a, a kind of a style and a, and a tone of Mark Twain, um, kind of for the idiosyncratic and humane characters and all the adventure that's in the book combined with humor so what do you say to that (laughs) (laughs) i say they whatever they've been drinking i want give me two of them no i I mean i i don't honestly honestly i haven't read a review in 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 many years because i just i don't have the stomach to read Uh I, i don't i just don't read reviews at all um I'll have, you know, my agent will, sometimes she'll, she'll read a line from a review to me, but I don't read them at all because if I did, I, I just probably quit writing. Yeah. I, I just can't, I just don't have the stomach to, and I'm not that smart, you know? I mean, uh, I really don't know what I'm doing. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I write these stories because they they have, they have to get out some kind of way, you know? Um, but everything I write is, I think it's the last thing I'll ever write. You know, I'm not really that, um, confident in, in my ability to, I'm, I'm more confident now than I was, you know, 20 years ago. I still, it's just a miracle. It's just God coughed and I just happened to have a handkerchief and I was <laughs> the one in the room holding a handkerchief. And, you know, it just, that's just how it kind of worked out. So, I mean, comparing, you know, saying that, put me in the, that's like saying, you know, a sax player who's playing at the club down the streets reminds you of Sonny Rollins or John uh-huh. Coltrane. Yeah. I don't think so. But I appreciate the, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate the, you know, the, the reference. But <laughs> so Speaking of saxophones, are you still playing? Not that much. I play in church a lot, you know. Uh-huh. I write a lot of music, and I play in church every weekend. You know, I play, sometimes I have kids in Friday, and I have them all day Saturday. And sometimes I still play piano in church on Sundays for or for funerals, you know. I mean, my church, my son plays 
B3 organ and I play the piano. And so, um, you know, if, if they need someone to play, I'll always, I'm always happy to come in and play. You know, sometimes I play these special services where, you know, they last like hours, man. Yeah. Like I, the last <laughs> one I played was a couple months ago. They were like, it was like four hours and four oh, preachers. No. I mean, they were, oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. And everyone was worse than the last. Well, only one of them was good. One of them was very, he was an old time preacher. And he was really good, but he only preaches. He only talked for like, I don't know, maybe five or ten minutes, and then the you know these younger guys, man, they were just. But you know, you know something. When I was a kid, I used to go to church and I used to look at the piano play, the organ player, and I'd say, "Why is she, you know, so looking so bored?" <laughs> but having played a bunch of services, I can tell you, you know, <laughs> that's what it is. Well, you know, everybody always tells me that if you want to go to church for a really long time, you go to the black baptist church or else you go to the jewish synagogue and then you you, you just sit there forever <laughs> until it's over. Uh, well i haven't been to a synagogue in years but <laughs> if you go to the wrong you know if you go to the right black church you know um it, it won't seem that long but yeah. it, 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 you yeah. know these mega churches where they have these gigantic broadway shows and there's two thousand people in the those are not the churches to go to you know your, your basic yeah. standard Black church up the street, you know, on a on an Easter Sunday is usually a pretty good bet to to have a you know yeah. have a decent a really good service and a good a good time and a good meal afterwards, you know. Yeah. So you've collaborated with Spike Lee, um, Miracle at Saint Anna, and um, Red Hook Summer. Are you going to do anything else with him? I don't. I mean, we haven't talked about anything. I heard from him recently, but you know that kind of. When you're working with directors, they make they call you. You know, you don't call them and say, "Hey, you know, I want to do." <laughs> yeah. I mean, I show somebody, you know, but he hasn't called me about doing anything, and and um, he doesn't really need to call. He's got, you know, he's got all these young people, you know, working with him. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, um, I mean, I like Spike. I, I you know, I, I think he's he's one of the more misunderstood people um, in in Hollywood. You know, he really doesn't. He's a loyal person. He's a very kind guy. He, you know, he's he's seen as you know. Some people just they don't understand him. He doesn't care, you know. And he has the, I guess he has the power and influence that it doesn't matter to him what people say about him. But I've always found him to be very honest and very, uh, very kind and also um, very loyal. Mm -hmm. I mean, Spike is is a loyal person. I remember when we had the um, big flood in in Hurricane Sandy. Uh -huh. in Brooklyn and you know it was a community center up the street from uh, my uh, my uh, my church you know we were all flooded we were trying to help each other we lost power and Spike's office walked a $10,000 check right into the community center down the street without ceremony or anything yeah wow no publicity and then we you know we were getting calls from these some of these other celebs you know well where's the money gonna go you know just you know there's a lot of phonies in this world of all colors yeah, and Spike Lee is not that. He's not, he is. Yeah. He is. What you see is what you get. Yeah. yeah. So I think in um, 2016 you were um, awarded the National Humanities Medal by President Obama for, and this is a quote, humanizing the complexities of discussing race in America. So how do you think that discussion is going these days? <laughs> <laughs> it's not going that good right not that now. That well, huh? You know, because yeah. of, you know, because of the guy who's uh, in the White House now. But you know, he he'll he'll be going sooner than later. If he's not going sooner, he'll be going later. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, and when he's gone, we'll we'll you know we'll survive him, and we'll learn how to talk to each other again. Yeah. Um, I don't really, I don't pay that much attention to. I'm more concerned about you know climate change and the fact that we're destroying the world at a pace that is almost unstoppable and really needs to be looked at. And it needs, we need to put the brakes on that right away. So mm-hmm. I'd say we need. We really hope. I hope whoever wins. You know, whoever on the Democratic yeah. side, it doesn't matter. We've got to get rid of the guy, and if we don't get rid of him now, we'll get rid of him later. And I think race is a secondary. Race is the kind of baseball bat that this guy and his his henchmen use to get in, you know, to get power. Right. Yeah. And the quicker we see that, the better off we'll be. But in the meantime, you know, we we can't fall for the the hype and the nonsense. One good thing that I tell people to do is I just stop watching TV. You know, yeah, I don't miss it at all. That's a good plan. Are you working on anything now? Do you have a new book in in the in the works? Yeah, but I'm I'm a little reluctant to talk about it because you know, and as soon as I talk about it, you know, kaplooey. You know, fiction's <laughs> not like nonfiction. It's sort of it can die. It can just it can just it can just go kaplunk. But I am working on on a new book, and I'm also working on a musical that I started years ago. And oh, that's. Um, cool. You know, I've got a little more time now, so I have one more kid to read. I'm a dad. I, my, my youngest is 18, and we're going to college next year, so I'll have a little more time. Yeah. So, what is, what is your family life like? I'm a single father. You know, I have an 18 year old son, and one is 26, and and a daughter is 27, and the older ones, you know, they live away from me. And yeah. the youngest one, um, I've had him since he was, um. I guess 12 or 13 and um, you know his mother lives pretty far away she lives in California so I, it's just been me and him yeah, and nice. uh, you know he's, he's pretty good he's done pretty well for himself he's mm-hmm. you know uh, divorce is always hard on kids but he yeah, seems to be yeah. seems to be doing okay he's going to be going to college next year your kids read your books? I hope not I don't think so really? <laughs> Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I think they might, you know, page through them a little bit, but uh-huh. I don't. They don't. I don't think they do. And I, I, I know my youngest son hasn't, because I'll say the stuff to him. And I can tell he hasn't read the book, because he'll say, "What well, did Grandma do?" And I'll say, "Well, man, why don't you just read the book?" You know, I mean, he knew his grandmother well. You know, she yeah. was, he was nine when she died, but. I don't think they read my books, and I don't make them read them. I mean, I don't want them to. You know, they gotta. They have to. They have to live their own lives and deliver life for themselves and enjoy life for themselves rather than. It's kind of weird, you know, when you become, uh, uh, you know, like a, a best-selling author, mm-hmm. because you know, you know, you, you become larger than life to to some people, and you're not really that, and. You know, you, even your kids get, you know, it's just, it's not good. <laughs> you know? Well, they, they should, they need to read Deacon King Kong because it, it's just a great book. I really loved it. It was a lot of fun. Um, well, I'm glad you loved it. And, yeah. and by the way, my youngest son, when I teach in church every Saturday, he's there too. He's been doing it for four years and it's been the best thing for him. Oh, that's nice. Really. That's really nice. It's the best thing I could have done for him, really. Well, James McBride, thank you so much for talking with us today. I just was a pleasure and an honor for me to, to get to speak with you. Well, I'm delighted to uh, to share my little story, and I'm 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 glad that you you like like Deacon King Kong and support the work. And I really appreciate your your time. Take care.
All right. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. And thank you all for listening to Life in the 614. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Play Music. We hope to have you back next week. Until then, keep enjoying your own life in the 614.